Welcome to Full Stack Business Owner, where we are enhancing your full stack of skills to build your wealth inside and outside your business. Today, we are with Aaron Wybrow, who is actually our funding specialist, and we're actually going to be diving into things around how he invests and where his philosophies have come from, etc. Now, if you want to join in on our conversation, head over to Facebook, join the Full Stack Business Owner community, ask any questions as Aaron does jump around there as well. Now, before we get started, let's cue the disclaimer. Charlie here from Full Stack Business Owner. I need to let you know that Grant, myself, and the Full Stack Business Owner team are in no way, shape, or form qualified to give you financial advice or pick investment products. We highly encourage you seek out and engage the use of professionals when making financial decisions or comparing investment products. All right. So first up, I will say, Aaron, you are a sponsor of the Full Stack Business Owner Podcast and we actually use your services. I know I do and I know that Charlie does as well. So for anyone listening, Aaron is our go-to guy. But before we dive into the episode, Aaron, do you just want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, I, I, wanted, to, I wanted to introduce myself slightly differently to people that have listened to other podcasts. So um, as, a, as a reflection on me um, as a mortgage broker and practicing the craft of that, um, I was a nurse first. So my reflection is that nursing and mortgage broking is the same thing. Um, I have a patient in the bed, numbers on the screen, supporting documents on a table and a story to go along with it. And that's the same as mortgage broking where I have a person in front of me with numbers on a piece of paper or a screen supporting documents and a story to go along with it. The differences are I'm predicting wealth creation and inside or outside your business versus needing a resuscitation trolley or being able to get them to a position where they can get out of my care um, in the fact that I was in intensive care. But remembering one of the other things that I've learned from my past experience there is that there is a big education gap in my journey from how I understand finance as a nurse and now how I understand finance as being a broker. So I am a business owner, a mortgage broker. I come from a different background to a range of different people in the banking sector and I'm here to help create business, um, wealth inside and outside of business. Awesome intro, Aaron. I like that. Can I ask a question? Go for what it. What was more stressful, dealing with a resuscitation or settling a property and getting finance for something? So, so it's interesting. I, I think they've got similar stress. I don't think the body reacts any different to the, the stress response is still the same. It's, I think when I've, I've resuscitated, I've done CPR, I've defibrillated people, I've, run the, I've been the person on the end of the red bell that people push on the wards... And I think I've taken that ability to be a little bit more calmer than, than, um, than people that may have not had that experience, especially when it comes up to um, end of financial deadlines, um, settlement cool-offs, or, or even the simple communication. And I know that we've had communications before about where we need urgent documents signed um, and, and sent in, in the right format and how we have to negotiate some third parties and people that we may not feel like we're in control of, uh, except for needing to follow, follow the good old principle, who has the gold makes the rules, even if they don't explain the rules um, very clearly. 
That's so interesting. So, and you know what? In in some what I will say, very stressful encounters during the like pandemic times for myself trying to uh, land loans or settle loans. You always seem so cool, calm, and collected. I really have noticed that. Like you've always very well um, well held to hold of respect here. But I will jump across into today's topic. Um, yeah. I've I've often thought about this where it's like I've gone to a restaurant and let's say someone who works at the restaurant is eating there. I've always been really curious about like, well, what do they order? Because like they know what goes on behind the scenes. And in the case of you, that really translates across here where I look at you and go, well, you're a business owner yourself, like you have a business, but you're also someone who understands the landscape of lending, unlike Grant and I, or I imagine most, if not all of your clients. So you kind of get, you know, what are the good meals to get on the menu? What are the advantages and pros and cons? Where, Where does the produce come from? And like, where's all the good reviews come from? So I'm really fascinated to get into this one today because I think it's going to offer insight to, you know, what does the guy who can get the money do, right? He understands yeah. this landscape really uniquely. So Grant, I'll hand over to you. Let's dive into these questions, man. I'm looking forward to it. I actually find it funny because I always look at these things like a cheat code. Like before I started using Aaron, my questions were like the questions that we're going to be doing, talking about here, which is like, I don't just want someone to help me with lending. What do you do around your investments? What is your strategy? Because if if you're there and you've done it and you've seen all these other people try it and some be successful, some not, I'm like, you're going to help me become successful. So now we're going to open this up to absolutely everybody. So Aaron, I'm going to I'm just going to let this one fly. I'm just going to ask an open ended question and let's just have a conversation about it. So right now in your current journey, like, what's your investment goal? What are you investing for? Noting that we are aware that you invest. So where, where are you going to take us? So let me let me look at the general ones that a lot of people have the same goals, and and then look at a specific one that that is that is unique to me. So uh, the similar goals that I have for my investment journey is that I I'm on the journey of paying down my owner occupied mortgage um, to generate more borrowing capacity because um, if we look at the lending landscape, um, having no non deductible debt whether it's your own mortgage, which is probably a better debt than, say, a credit card or a personal loan or all those things, um, making sure that that's under control and that's paid down is is a goal of mine. And I'm able to do that by leveraging on on equity and, and cash flows to keep investing and help do the next one, which is the income replication. So I want to have the income replication to add another layer of security for my family. So I'm a, in addition to a business owner, an investor and a mortgage broker, I am a dad. I'm a father of three. I've got a 13-year-old boy um, and he's awesome. He's like my mini me and we, we love doing all the Marvel movies and all that stuff and I need to double down and help, help with um, that layer of security. I've got two girls, beautiful girls, a 10-year-old and a 7-year-old and I need that extra layer of security for my, my family in addition to the business. Um, I need the wealth creation in my own personal land, whatever structure that that becomes, to be able to help that security. And then my overarching goal um, that that crosses business and personal is that um, I want to demonstrate by my journey to enhance the strategies and tools of understanding money for my family, for my children, for my clients and for my business colleagues. And that can take shape in a whole range of areas. So that's that's my investment goal. And I wanted to make sure that the journey is in there because that's the key um, to a lot of people's 
ability to build wealth. So it's That's fundamentally so cool, Aaron. It's so, so cool. I'll stop cutting you off, Greg. Go for it. <laughs> so it's changed over time by the sounds of it. Because I think Absolutely. this is what a lot of people don't. They, they hear someone say, I'm going to go for X goal. And they go, great, I'm going to take the same goal. And it's like, well, no, it's kind of personalized. So rewinding the clock, maybe a couple of years. I know sort of you've got a seven-year-old and 10-year-old, et cetera. So it might have to be quite a big rewind. Was it always mm. the same goal? Or do you think that the goal is going to change as they get older, as sort of your business gets to a different spot? Or do you see this goal sort of being solidified and locked down? Um, I think I think there's going to be sub-goals sub to it. Um, so... I haven't put a dollar figure in there. I haven't put the number of properties in there. I, I haven't I haven't gone down the path of what people might stereotypically put as a goal, like the, sm- the smart goals. Um, but I feel like when I look at an overarching goal for myself, for my own investment journey, and I look at what is important to me and I get that, then I want to put the sub goals. Um, so, so currently, um, for, for a disclosure, I, I have four in four properties, um, and I don't want to stay at four properties. I have a business and a business that does take a lot of the time uh, that I could like, if I was full on in property, it may take some distraction away from my business. So I feel like, um, as we, we unpack some of those concepts, we can, have some sub goals around that, and and I I think those goals are, are changing over time. Um, as as I build business, I think some of my financial goals may lengthen out a little bit or shorten down a little bit, depending on how I've done different things. Um, life events that come up may lengthen a goal or shorten a goal, and and I'm all always talking to people where we might be running into trouble about some finance or we are running harder. Sometimes. We, we can shorten a goal and, and hit it quickly. And sometimes when we're going through the rough, the rough marshes of business, we may need to lengthen that goal. But let's not lose that goal and, and keep going forward. Can, can we back this one up for a second though? Because like we've gotten mm. quite tactical here and I, I want to yes. bring this one back. So um, the idea being I actually love your investment goal, Aaron. I think it's a really cool thing and I, uh, for many of us, myself included, the part that really spoke to me is the idea of like particularly when we have children – I noticed that my focus shifted towards like legacy stuff, lineage stuff, demonstrating what good money management is so that hopefully in my case, Jack will pick that up. But the question I want to ask before we get tactically into like the borrowing Mm. stuff, because I know that's where we're going to end up here. How did you even decide that your strategy on wealth creation, like why did it become in this case property when there are so many other vehicles and things we can take up as business owners? Like you could have kept doubling down on your business or you could have taken up other investment opportunities or asset classes. Do, would you like a, a little bit of an aura? Let, let me let me touch on that point first, and then if if you like, I can give you a bit of an origin story um, around property and finance and things. I I, I wasn't always looking at property. Um, I my first. Um, career was nursing so it has a different feel it wasn't finance focused it's not um, it's it's a good income paying job Um, but I I always have had the bug for finance even when I was younger Um, I was I was building other investment classes up 
whether it's it was at that time it was managed investments it was it was savings accounts it was a different landscape as well from an interest rate point of view so the money was actually earning something a little bit back in in sort of the late 1990s <laughs> and early 2000s um and and i suppose if that i was investing in that area um and i i was always wanting um uh, i was dating a girl at the time i i got married when i was 21 um and i was investing in different things than than real estate um it was always ingrained in me we can get a family home we can buy a home we can build a deposit and get a home and um it was only when i started um down the path of my second and third career when i went into to business and medical sales i completed an mba in business now that is a very expensive course to get a proper understanding of finance but i did that and then once i got that extra level of knowledge i just went hammered hard into mortgage broking which where do mortgages typically go they they go on a home and when they go on a home how can we use that leverage to keep building wealth and and that was the biggest trigger for me is that if the banks are back in the property market maybe i can get a piece of that pie Interesting. So the idea being that because bank lending had really opened up for property and I know you can get mm. lending in things like shares, although I will admit I don't know a whole heap about it, it just seems that they're treating it as the place where borrowing is done less like other asset classes and that kind of the penny drop for you and said, well, this is where I want to develop some of my strategy. Absolutely. Awesome. And, and paying down that mortgage fast is what, what I wanted to do. And, and when I didn't have the financial knowledge, that's, that was a big trap and a big a big um, problem area in my life. Yeah, I find that one really fascinating myself as well, right? It depends, like, and I'm not against people that want to live debt-free. I, I totally get why that is an advantage if you are a certain type of person. I really, really do. But I can completely see that if your parents had wired into you, you know, you don't get debt, you don't get debt, right? Not understanding that debt can be a tool and can be very powerful, um, although I will say it comes with risks. It's like it's different games, and you want to make sure you're being selective of what game you're actually playing. Like if you're going to play the debt-free game, go, go for it. Go all in on that. But I don't think uh, looking at debt as evil or not understanding how it could be utilised to your advantage in some situations is a huge mistake. And I, I know for all of us on this uh, call here or this podcast recording, I should really say that debt's been a very, very powerful part of all of our strategies, but you definitely yeah. want to be responsible with it. I'm keen to get cracking into the actual like uh, journey of the investments now as well mm. because, again, this is going to be fascinating from our point of view. What was the first investment you got, Aaron? Yeah, so I, I, did, I did the um, – well, I don't know whether it's a typical thing, but I, did, I love doing a lot of things all at once. So I'm, I'm a 21-year-old guy. I've, got, uh, I've come back from my honeymoon. Um, whilst preparing for the wedding and stuff, we, we organized our first home and um, we're in the blue, beautiful Blue Mountains in, in New South Wales, Sydney. And um, when we got home, we got the keys. We're able to go straight from the honeymoon into our nice new first home. Um, but if you fast forward the journey in there, I, I love finance. Um, I'm not immune to shiny objects to chase after at times in, in, in life and business. I wanted to pay down that debt faster and I fell into the wrong advice. Um, I had a financial planning firm and a mortgage broking firm approach me to debt, re debt reduce my, my debt very, very quickly. 
um, and I fell into a bit of a trap there and um, the end result was I was frauded a lot of my equity. I was frauded even into my tax environment um, and it wasn't until I started getting myself educated in finance professionally by being um, a sales rep at the time and completing my master's of business. And my master's of business, I, I was so aligned to wanting to do more and more financial subjects and I got to a point, and this was in, in 2009, I got to a point and I got this magical equation and this magical equation was assets equals equity plus liabilities. And I went, that, that, uh, that equation changed my whole, my whole personal strategy, my whole cleanup mess strategy, um, my whole team building development strategy because I found that when I looked at my personal life, I had an asset because my, my house, I had my, I didn't really have any equity left and I had a lot of liability. And I also found that with the investment strategy to help buy it, pay down my, my um, home faster that these um, advisors put me into was they had, they had liability they had my equity, but there wasn't any asset behind it. Can I ask and what that strategy was? Yeah, I'm sorry to interject. Yeah. It's just I haven't heard of this. Yeah. So they set up fake companies and I can talk freely. It's all sorted itself out. They set up fake companies. They issued lots of shares and they were recycling other people's money to be able to not only live off for themselves, but pay down other people's mortgages, their own, their other people. So it was a, it was a strategy where they pulled in a lot of different people and they used new people to pay off old people. They used another person to pay off another person. Not dissimilar to what we've seen with some problematic um, uh, other industries where they, they might build, build, a, um, build a concrete slab off someone else's deposit money and then, then they don't have money to build the, deposit, build the slab off the person that just they paid the slab in the first place. So well, I got sucked in basically. I'm not going to say what it looks like but they have them in Egypt. <laughs> Okay, I'm just, I would just frame it that way there. It just sounds a little <laughs> bit like something we might find in Egypt. And I'm terribly sorry to hear um, you've gone through that experience, Aaron. But I tell you what, I suspect it's shaped you as a better investor and also yeah. um, taught you a lot from that experience. Um, Absolutely. I'm, you said it's worked its way out and I, I think sometimes the expensive lessons are the ones we've learned best. I've certainly got some in my uh, history and I know Grant does as well. I think what's really interesting here is this didn't deter you. Mm. Right, you'd had this experience and then actually kept going in property. Like we know you've got more properties down the journey here. Did this set you back for a number of years or anything oh, yeah. like that? Or how did you re-gear up to go again and what did you do differently as you continued? Cool. So I wasn't a broker at the time and I, I had a variable job. I had a sales rep job. I had commissions. So there was some variability in my income, which is not unlike a business owner where we want the variability to keep going. And, and I then finished my master's of business and um, I was expecting a second child at the time and um, I, had, I had the tax office knocking on my door and they needed to be paid out. So I found I had a big crash course in, I found people like tax lawyers, I never met one before and they, they have a, a very awesome hourly rate if you can ever get to that level. Um, I found, I learnt about bank lenders, so I had to go cap in hand to a, a couple of banks and, and one of the major banks did help me out and gave me the money I needed in a personal loan to be able to get rid of the tax office off my back. Um, I was able to 
um, engage. I engaged with a good a good man that came across my path who was a financial planner and he had a whole range of extra help that provided me the basics of different things. Um, I did I did play with the idea to become a financial planner. Um, I did reject doing that. Um, so probably a great thing at the moment because of the regulations sitting in that industry. And I took up I took up mortgage broking and he introduced me into some areas where I could get upskilled very, very fast on, on mortgage broking. And I vowed, I really, I, I took that whole thing, I really vowed that no one that come across my path would ever get into, into that area of, of crappy scheme, recycling new people's money to old people money ever, ever again. To even take it further, I then caught up with a few people that were also in that scheme and um, I was able to pull them out of the problems that they were in as well and and a couple of them are still customers to today and that was back in 2012. So the, the, the customers that I was able to help out, they are now property investors as well. They're building their wealth, they're doing it the slow burn, they're doing it the right way um, and um, they, they still enjoy having a conversation with me nearly 10, 12 years later. That's so <laughs> awesome. That actually so- sounds like it fueled <laughs> your growth and fueled oh, the yeah. path that you're on. Yeah, become the catalyst, right? It's like this experience actually was the trigger to like you'd had a terrible experience in and it horrifies me that people get caught into these things and it's like the allure of being able to pay down your mortgage quickly, right, to live that Mm debt-free life that so many people want, right, actually ended you um, taking on a situation and experience that wasn't the right one, ended poorly, but then ends up being the catalyst into you being someone who can hopefully – help people avoid things like that and learn it from there. So I'm thrilled to hear you went through that journey, Aaron. The, How I ended up a marketer, right, was really funny is that um, I got screwed over by a marketer. I was wow. like, so that was my catalyst in the journey there. And Grant, did you get screwed by someone that started your business career? <coughs> not not as such. However, I do know two people. One got screwed over by VCs and he now has a business to go and screw VCs. So he provides funding to startups. And another one got screwed over by a guy who sold him a car that was welded in two pieces together. And he said, I will make your business broke. And it was a fabrication company. And so he just imported a whole heap of stuff from China, made the guy go broke, and now he's absolutely crushing it. So I know heaps of stories. It happens. (laughs) It is the greatest fuel. Well, there's a a little saying. What's What's the highest best use of a grape? Yes, I like this story. It's It's wine. Yeah. How does the grape become wine? It gets crushed. So I, I love the analogy. I feel for the grape though at the moment. <laughs> yeah, I feel for the grape. But I, I think it's true. Like we we have these bad experiences that like really fully propel us into the future. And and it took me about three years to get back on track. Is the answer to your other question? So twenty twelve. So you've got your principal, your place of residence. Uh, you've gone through like a whole couple of years of turmoil of really sort of turning this around and turning this, what is it like this negative situation into like a positive one? It's like an opportunity. Mm. So where to from here on your investment journey? And can I just cool. clarify one thing? This first purchase was your uh, principal place of residence, yes, that it we're was, referring yeah. to here. Okay, awesome. Yeah. So that was property one. Let, let's kick property on. Property one. I, I had to sell that property one and I made $3,000 out of it. Um, after a couple of years 
yeah and and that was another another trigger for me to learn more about property because if i didn't get emotional about the property and i looked double down on on the the forecasting the budgeting um my work at the time uh my side hustle you could say my mortgage breaking business was to build up and drag myself out of some of those problems um with an accelerated income stream if if i left that property b a couple of years later the city market grew again so that was about the 2013 um area um and i could have made a mozza out of it but at the time i had to unclear my headspace my wife's headspace and we sold it for three thousand dollars so we were now no property three years hustling to get back into property and um we were talking my my wife and i were talking when we we're sitting in the um in the rental property at the time with our kids um getting on top of the borrowing calculations um where, where to from here you know i was really i was working with investors i was working with first home buyers um and i wanted to buy an investment property i went cool let's just lock down this rent we understand the calculator with rent has 100% of rent, 100% of that expense is there versus a mortgage where there's buffers involved. And I wanted to go, I wanted to go um, uh, rent vesting, um, but I have a wife and um, she loves stability. She got sick of the rentals and um, we were able to um, get a deal where we were able to get a house with um, an old place on it. Um, we bought it as our second principal place of residence after the first one has been gone. Um, and if we fast forward, we demolished it. We put a big house on it. Um, we had some growth in the city market. And then, then I was able to go in, get the equity out. And I bought my first investment property. And I did that one. And I bought it across the country in Western Australia in 2016. Um, so that's, that's a, a fast forward journey into, you could say, my first investment property in Western Australia, but I did have my own principal place of residence. Awesome, man. So just to be clear on that one again, I just like to clarify points because I know people will be listening mm. at different levels of experience. Absolutely. So you got into that second uh, property, uh, which is a principal place of residence. We've knocked it down, put a new house on it. That market's grown as well as yes. I imagine you had paid down a little bit of that debt. Absolutely. And then you were able to utilize the equity that was in that property to leverage out and buy your first uh, investment property here in WA. Yeah, absolutely. So how's the WA property gone? And then we know there's more in the journey here. So what happened after yep. that? So the WA property um, at the time, so it was 2016, it was in a, it was looking at, the government at the time was looking at affordable housing um, and they the, they came up with the National Rental Affordability Scheme, which is no longer, uh, well, there's no longer new new properties in play. But this was a cash flow play for me. Uh, I, I needed the extra cash flow to pay down my owner-occupied debt, non-deductible debt. Um, so I went after the cash flow play on this one. So it was a property where I'm, I'm providing the tenant 20% less the market rate of rent and the government is reimbursing me tax incentive-wise on that property. So just the similar to um, people that I come across now, they, their first property typically has a bit more of the rental income to accommodate um, and give them a good experience on their first property. Uh, some people have a different journey altogether, but my specific journey was to get after the cash flow play so I could um, hammer back at the um, owner-occupied owner debt that I took on to keep my wife happy because happy wife, happy life. Do you know that's the exact thing I wanted to do? 
my version of what I was trying to do was like I wanted to build cash flow around the principal place of residence to support not only the mortgage but the living costs. Mm. Like that's just mentally how I was thinking about it. I think uh, it's like a, we'll go back to wine again. I think my palate has become more seasoned and I view things a little bit differently now. But at the time I think that's a very common thing for people is the idea if they can get tenants paying down the mortgage they're in, it's a really, really powerful strategy. And um, I imagine I don't I remember that scheme being around, I shouldn't say scheme, that incentive being around mm. from the government back then. What led you to the next property here? Yeah, so my, my next property was that after I got that property and and from a full disclosure, I was still working my business part-time and I had a full-time job. So that property that I bought in WA was one of the ones that I snuck in while I had my PAYG wage. So full disclosure, it wasn't 100% on my business income. I actually hey, got hey, an accountant's there's, there's letter. No, there's no, uh, yeah. Hopefully no one from the ATO is listening or any yeah. uh, lenders looking there, but uh, I, uh, I think it's very clever that you utilised your uh, situation to the best of your advantage. Yep. And and I didn't I didn't lose my PAYG job after buying it or anything. So compliance wise, I had a couple of years left of of that prior to that that business that I was working for got bought by another multinational and good save. And when, good save. When 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 businesses buy other businesses, you can you understand what what do they do with um, the business they buy? They don't really treat them that well. <laughs> Um, but my next play was was a, a really cool, re- really interesting one. I I, I joined forces with a, uh, I shared an office with an accountant and a financial planner. Um, I doubled down on my business this time, and I'm now full time business owner. So principal place of residence, three kids, an investment property. Doubled down on my my um, my business going full time, and um, w- with going full time and trying to invest. Um, all your time and effort and energy into your business, which which is a big asset of of mine, is that your your savings has a little bit of a tumble mm. when you're trying to um, manage everything personally and and get the new business in and keep going, and and that's where I had spent I spent a couple of years um, pushing and hustling in the business, and then we we had this strange thing in the in the office that we were tenanting the. Um, there, it wasn't really set up too well from, um, from what we needed at the time and we wanted to go out and try to find how could we buy a property. How could we buy a property to house our office? Could we do it together with the accountant and financial planner? Do we have to do it separately? How can we build our wealth? How can we not entangle ourselves together? Um, so we had all these discussions come into it and what we found was is that um, whilst I worked for like 10, 12, 13 years as a, an employee, um, I found that I had, um, I had a stash of cash that I could um, recycle to make an effect on my business. So um, with the right advice, uh, I was able to set up a self-managed super fund. That self-managed super fund was able to buy the office that I'm currently in. So right behind me, my, my self-managed super fund buys, uh, owns this office um, and my business is able to rent back to my super fund. So you can just imagine the uh, landlord-tenant conversations in front of the mirror. Yeah, I hear that guy's a jerk. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He always asks for the money every month. That's right. Powerful. Stra- so that, that's an interesting yeah. thing here I will bring up. Not a lot of business owners are aware of this, but you can actually utilize your super to buy a premise you can work from or should need to work from. Actually, I've heard it's more common with like mechanics, like who like need warehouses. workshops and things like that. Warehouses is another one, but even in a service business like yours, Aaron, like it's an interesting way to utilize super and something I've considered myself. I think it's a really powerful strategy. 
the and but there are some limitations and and we I, I bought the self money super fund property at a pretty good price and I'm sitting in a little town that's about 15 minutes north of St Mary's and in Sydney Australia St Mary's is fairly close to new train lines and new new infrastructure for example the second airport in Sydney so I'm I'm in prior to some of this stuff all getting eventuated, but there is construction going on for that that um, infrastructure play. But now, if I look at my my investment a couple of years later in the self managed super fund, it's it's risen exponentially. Um, the 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 uh, market rents um, and all the compliancy stuff that I've had to do is is that it is it's an increasing market. Um, now I had to utilize money to help build business where I may not, I didn't have it in the business to be able to sacrifice to buy a property to do it at the time. I was able to use another area of my life to make a benefit, a future play. Um, now with, with the self money super fund, having the property go up in price and now having uh, built, build up the business more, um, I can't, I can't really access the, <laughs> The, um, the the growth or anything there because super is a it's a raw asset that the government and the legislation says yep you've got that asset you can do that but once it's paid down it's paid down you can't get the equity you can't get the redraw you, you don't have the same metrics of lending and product specifications that you do outside of of super but it was a play it's paid off um, and and my, my staff love it I love having a place that I can catch up together with with clients. We sometimes go a bit old school and have a face to face meeting occasionally um, when we mostly in virtual. So I've heard that about was those my, things, my face to face meetings. <laughs> so that's what they used to do in the nineties, right? Like with the yeah, Nokia you, phones, and you get your yellow pages Nokia out with your BlackBerry. Yeah, like it was yeah. it was a thing. I heard I about. I remember them. My mum tells me about them all the time. <laughs> it's really interesting on the idea, though, that uh, again is like it can be very. Uh, there's so many upsides that can come from utilization of superannuation in that way. Right, it's a really cool idea, but it does come with those limitations and downsides of what you can leverage back out. Now, I w- I'm not clearly not qualified to comment on who should use super and who shouldn't in what. Um, circumstance and that is an area where people will want to get specialized advice i just think it is so important to consider on this journey as a business owner because it could be an edge it could be an advantage in a huge way or the ability for you to get a premise to work from or not which could make a massive difference in your business overall so um grant i can see you're itching to chime in what do you got (laughs) i just think of it like a swiss army knife right like if you have a swiss army knife and you try and use the corkscrew to go and cut a piece of wood or to try and sharpen something it's just never going to work and so everybody just has that swiss army knife and they just need to use the right tool in order to solve the right problem and so in that scenario it's like aaron had that problem which cool i'm going to pull out the corkscrew let's go and use it so we've got the principal place of residence we've got the Mm -hmm. investment property in WA. We've got the office, which is an awesome office, by the way. Uh, let's continue this journey. Where, where to yeah. from here? So I, I took a play uh, as I was building business. I, I personally took a play of um, going down the path. Uh, I, I wanted a, a dual occupancy property. I wanted a main bedroom, main house and a, and a granny flat. Um, so a four bedroom and a one bedroom. So um, mid last year, I was able to um, purchase a block of land in in Tamworth, in New South Wales, 
um, nice growing big regional area, airport, hospital, big, big population there, low, low vacancy rate like we're seeing in a lot of areas. Um, and I was able to purchase this block of land, put it off the plan. Um, now, it's a specific strategy and specific advice about buying off the plan, but I was able to just bank it, set it there, forget about it, not totally forget about it, but have it sitting there so I could just double down and focus on business, grow the business during that late 2021 area and into 2022 and delay the need to need to have the, the mortgage and anything on that. Um, in the last couple of weeks, we were, that land got registered. We now own the land um, and we own it outright at this point in time, which is awesome. Uh, and um, just even in the last couple of days, I'm now um, conditionally approved pending a couple of things for the build of the dual occupancy property on that on that land, which is um, really exciting. And, and this property um, investment for me is one of these um, benchmark ones like it was with the WA one where I still what what i because where i want to go from here is i'm I'm now doubling down on business um so i'm able to get these strategic pro um, properties along the way um and then i can take my my foot off the pedal from those property point of, that property point of view in my personal name and then just shove the accelerator a hundred percent down on my business um, and then turn back around and see what else i can do um, going forward in the future so this property is is um is a, is a nice little property the, the land's now gone gone upwards um now we have to be careful when we're we're playing games of where where there's growth implode and you need the right advice if you're going off the plan because it can turn around and goes go south as well um and i've rescued a few clients out of that over the years as well but you have to be strategic you have to understand your own personal goals and you have to understand the borrowing capacity that you have and what risks you're going to be able to mitigate but I'm really excited about this next property play. Off the plan gets a really bad rap, in my opinion. And there's, there's two times, and I will uh, share these because I think it's helpful. If you buy an off the plan apartment in a capital city, I think that can be incredibly dangerous just due to supply risk and uh, a whole bunch of things that have gone on. And then secondary is off the plan in like these greenfield estates. And again, the common thread between these two is like massive supply. So if you've ever driven out or seen a region where there's just house after house after house getting built um, across mm. massive amounts of acreage, that's where I think there's a huge amount of risk in there and you would want to do a lot of due diligence uh, in that way. But the other side of it is if off the plan goes well, and I really want to plant this seed for people to understand the concept, if you were to buy something off the plan, you don't necessarily have to pay stamp duty. And you also don't have to service the loan until the land is registered, I believe, Aaron, or when it comes to settlement. Now, if that takes a year and that land's been going up in value in that time, that means you get to lock in the price of today. You get that year of gains before you have to actually pay for anything. So, like, it is a risk and a bet, like, absolutely. And, again, good advice, really important here. But the upside of pulling it off can mean that you can end up settling on a property that's got value already locked in. So when it comes to getting your construction finance in your case here or when it comes time to uh, having the LVRs and the risk around it, your access to different products and if you need like LMI could change in a huge way as well. So again, just really wanted to bring it to the attention of the audience where it can be a pro, not just a thing to be scared of with off the plan. And to I can give you the raw numbers on it. The land cost $167,000. So you can compare some of that costing to the capital cities. Um, and other metrics that you may want to look at with your accountant about other other taxes that may come in depending on the value of your land. Um, 
then it's now probably got a value. I know it's greater than 200,000 and I know there's blocks of land being sold in, in the area for, for greater than 250. So, um, it, it could turn out that I only have to spend $25,000 of equity or cash to get a $710,000 property. So it really brings in this whole, people need to think about, um, we, we get all meteorized about the affordability of houses and first home buyers can't get in and they need grants and they need this and they need that. But if you really wanna, you really wanna understand things, um, lift that bonnet of that car or the hood and have a look at what's going on underneath. And you may find that when you do that, um, you may be able to get numerically, you might be able to have deposit manufactured by market. You might have to, you, you might have to du double down on your deposit. Um, you might have to get the government grants, depending on what your personal goals are when, you, when you're going down this path. Yeah. And so it sounds like you're, you're fairly happy with sort of the overall sort of outcome that you've got and you're now doubling down on the business and making sure that you can uh, sort of grow the business so that at some point you can, to your point, you can look back and say, okay, what am I going to go to next? I actually just wanted to say like it, it is, uh, I almost implore the strategy of saying, well, how do I wrap up some cash just so I don't get distracted, which it sounds like you were doing when you were land banking. It's like, great, just, I know I've got to put money over there. It's just, I don't want to get distracted. I just need something so that I can just focus in. So uh, I think that's one big thing for sort of Australian business owners to think about is like business is where our focus should be and assets help sort of grow the personal wealth. And so, um, yeah, I just think it's a, another sort of viewpoint to what you were mentioning, Charlie, as well, of just going, oh, yeah, that's a, another way to approach it. I am, do, I am do you want to know what I was thinking though? I'll share it with you. I was like, this is just another example of this tandem strategy. Yep. Right. I again, and I will say opinion. Um, I just find more and more that when a business owner can see that it's not, oh, I, I just build my business and then someday I, or when I get to that someday, I'll build my wealth. Like you can synchronize these efforts parallel. Like you can build your business for a period of time and then transition some of those gains into assets, and then those assets can grow and you can utilize potentially the cash flow from those assets to grow your business. Yep. And you can have them working for you in tandem. They're not isolated journeys. Like they synchronize in a really powerful way and it's evident in Aaron's story. And it's definitely, it's not an or, right? It's always that and. So I am curious, Aaron, like the, the journey you've just taken us on has been what, almost like 20 years of a journey. Uh, you've seen a lot. You've been personally through a lot. There's a whole heap of lessons that you've just touched on, let alone like what are some of the biggest lessons that you communicate to other people who are going through this journey or, or anything that, or even the ones like the principles that you live off now going, I don't want to be bitten again. <laughs> this yeah. is now like the lesson I go from. Biggest lessons, Aaron. What are your biggest lessons in this? But Biggest biggest lessons is that um, doing something, then doing nothing, is is paramount. Um, and when you unpack that, um, your assets support growth, um, and your business supports the assets. Uh, so that's that's a key point that I look at. And and to give an an eye opening when a client talks to me about buying assets uh, or buying a property is that I want one of the questions I ask and, and everyone should ask is what's the variability of your income? Where is the variability in the play that you're about to make? Are you, is your business able to vary its income? And, and I would suggest people jump back into some of the earlier episodes about the unfair advantage of self-employed people that have the unfair advantage of income um, and review that because 
if we can vary our income in our business, our asset or property selection through due diligence can have a different outcome than if our income was more fixed. If our income's more fixed, the variability to be able to hold on to the long term or what I would say the holding power um, would, would, can be diminished quite quickly because if you're 100% reliant on the income from the property and your income is fixed, that can be quite, that's a different property selection to whether you got the variability. So think about where the variability is in your income and that's, that, that's probably been key when I was side hustling with mortgage broking and a full-time job. Um, doubling down on the business to get the variability of income back up, um, looking at other other entities. So that's a big key thing. Think about where the variability of your income is. Um, don't leave your business cash starved. Um, th- think about what what you could do with the cash in your business to double that cash in the business to come out swinging harder for property. Uh, and make sure you have the right team on your side. Um, uh, the one of the one of the the big things that I get motivated on with the right team on my side. So when I talk to my business accountant, like we've done the tax planning and we've done the compliance and we've done the tax returns, but he's asked me for the twenty twenty three forecast. Um, and jump over to the Facebook group and you've got the nice question out there, Grant. Um, jump in, make a make a comment on it. But I I would say. What, what do you got going on going into the future? Get, get the right team thinking about the future for you. What are your goals? Unpack those goals. See what's realistic and go forward from there. Get the right team on your side. You are a business owner focused on your business. Like I wasn't financially educated when I was a nurse. Now I'm financially educa- educated as a broker, but I 100% do broking. I, I don't search for properties all the time. I don't um, have all the knowledge and insights and strategies around accounting. Um, I need those people that 100% dedicate themselves on that to leverage off to build my wealth. And that is inside and outside of business. That's huge, Aaron. Absolutely huge. And I think they're very valuable lessons people could take on here. I actually thought earlier this week you'd be proud of me. I uh, was looking at this and there was an end of financial year purchase I was going to make. I'm looking at it. Got my, got my mouse here. I was getting trigger happy and I was like, my borrowing power. <coughs> I can't do this. Can't do this. And um, to your point there, that income variability is like as a business owner, we get to make decisions and be much more in control of that where we can cater it to the things we want to achieve when it comes to wealth, which is so hugely powerful. And I hope people really take this away from the episode. Now, we're going to jump into our uh, last question of the episode here. And I think this is a, a really important one. Um mm. I might steal it though, Grant. I'm going to steal your go moment on. here. Go on. Well, I just I felt awkward, and I'm excited to uh, go through <laughs> it here. You know, hindsight can be a very powerful thing, Aaron. What would you do if you were starting over again today, when mm. it comes to building wealth and the combination of business? I love that word, hindsight. Um, if you couldn't start, can I flip it on its head? If you couldn't start today, use that hindsight to propel you forward. Now, if I could start today, I'm, I'm going to have to go back to the team. Get that team that focuses 100% on the stuff that you don't know about and bring that knowledge in to look at your own personal situation. Learn and educate yourself. And right now um, in, in 2022 where we have upwards interest rates, understand the serviceabilities of the banks and your borrowing power. And that's going to be key 
because it may not be the bank that you do your assessment with the borrowing power with that is the actuality of your loan. You need to know who, what's the backup bank. So um, as, as a broker, um, if I was starting again today, uh, well, if I wasn't a broker, um, make sure your broker has the main bank that they've assessed you with and a backup bank. Um, don't don't give give the leniency of time to some of the approvals that you need. Um, and one of the other ones is that if I have my time again, um, and I'm gonna I'm gonna throw some confusing comments out here. I, I would have loved to start earlier, but I also don't want to start earlier because I could say that I started at the right time for me. All right. So even though even though all of us would love to start earlier, uh, what if we were 20 and we could have three investment properties? Imagine where we would be today. And I'm, I'm 39, so you can imagine where I could be today. But I think I would love to start earlier, but I also don't think I should have. But I also think I started at the right time. Yeah, yeah I, powerful comment there. Yeah, I agree. And especially to your point around that whole knowledge Right, like you, if you just start absorbing knowledge and information from those that team that you build, like I know that Charlie, the people that we work with, which uh, obviously yourself, Aaron, um, Goose, Anthony, etc. Like just having a conversation with them, even before you're ready to pull the trigger, <laughs> it's just the benefit of the information, which almost creates that hindsight, right? And interestingly enough, to that final point, Aaron, uh, there was a guy in in the Facebook group that pinged me. He was 22, looking at buying his first investment property. Good on him. Wow. Good, which is awesome. Now, I'm going to wrap this one up, but for anyone who's listening to this, if they do want to get in touch with Aaron or anyone over at the team, uh, head over to fullstackbusinessowner.com, click on Partners, and then click on DNF, and we'll do an introduction across to Aaron and the team. They do amazing, amazing work. Uh, and I just want to say, Aaron, from sort of Charlie, myself, and all the listeners, like, I really appreciate you sort of pulling back the curtains and just giving us insights into sort of everything and taking us on that awesome timeline and journey. Um, it's it's only the beginning and um, yeah, just the amount of insights and value you've provided is just immense. So yeah, for, thank you. Yeah, completely Appreciate great. it. So for anyone who's listening to this, be sure to subscribe. We've got Aaron coming back. We've also got other guests. We cover a whole heap of insights and answer your questions, etc. So hit the subscribe button. But if you do want to ask Aaron any questions, head over to Facebook, join the Full Stack Business Owner Community Facebook group, ask him any questions, uh, and even Charlie and I might even jump in and help out where we possibly can. Uh, and if you do like this episode, share it with anyone else that you know who would also get some value listening to Aaron's journey, who might just want some insights around how they can go about it themselves. And I just want to say thank you again for joining us, and we look forward to catching you on the next episode of Full Stack Business Owner.